Hello, hello, listeners to the Third Way Podcast. Uh, I am joined today by um, my favorite podcast host um, of all the ones I listen to, which is a number. And uh, I don't know where I came across Marshall's podcast. Don't recall. Doesn't matter uh, because I've been an avid listener now for probably a couple of years. Um, so uh, Marshall is, Marshall Davis is a retired pastor and an active podcaster, author. Um, I'll link to his website and his books and his podcast in the show notes. So welcome, Marshall. Thanks for doing this. I'm glad to be here. So you are you're you're in a list of what I call, and I actually literally have a list called the modern mystics. So there's this lineage that going back to like um, you know probably Thomas and maybe John in the Bible, through to maybe like Thomas Merton uh, to Richard Rohr. And then there's Marshall Davis as part of that, <laughs> you know, that, that era. Um, and I've heard your story about your own, like, I think you've said you've had two spiritual awakenings, maybe three, three, uh, yeah. three. Yeah. And so you've had this evolution. And, and so I already know this part of the story, but the, I think it's a great kind of foundation to um, the questions I want to talk through with you of when you had your first awakening and and how that happened uh, and how you work through that because everybody hears an awakening and they think oh yay but it's terrible really an awakening is because it's you know so talk a little bit about that okay uh, i would not have even used the word awakening until most recently uh 10 years ago the the first time was uh, was in 1973 when i was in college and that was simply what I would have described at the time using Rudolf Otto's term of the Mysterium Tremendum et Faskanans. It was an encounter with the Holy when I was outside and simply looking up at the sky with my with my girlfriend and then all of a sudden I was just uh, overpowered by a sense of uh, falling away or falling apart or or something dissolving it's uh it was it was just uh, it was un, un indescribable it uh, didn't last very long but it lay it uh, made an impression upon me that that has that continued up to this day and that that experience happened just uh, a few months after having had a traditional evangelical Christian conversion experience. So it was on top of that. So it mm. added it added a, a mystical dimension, you might say, to what was already a, a, a powerful and an evangelical experience. The, the next time it happened was in 1992. And um, that was when I was a pastor at, at this at this time. And I was uh, attending a uh, silent retreat at the Schlame Institute in Washington, D.C. Uh, it was a program for spiritual directors, and I was in that in that program. And this was a week-long retreat that we were supposed to go to as as part of it, as well as be under spiritual be in spiritual direction during that time. And uh, during the one one of the sessions, the same type of thing happened to me, but this was this was even scarier, if you will. Uh, 
you know, the mysterium tremendum is the mystery that causes you to, to tremble. It's tremendous, but it causes you to, to tremble at the same time. And that's what this did. It was very much like the first time, but it was even more, more powerful. And so far as knowing for sure that I was not, if you will, that I, uh, who I thought I was, was not who I was, that there was nothing there almost. And it was a sense of, of, uh, of terror and dread and uh, and fear that I had a hard time recovering from. I I left early the retreat. I saw my spiritual director. I tried to process this, but at that time I was not able to process it. And I actually retreated back into my original evangelical faith, which was a lot easier to handle because I had uh, set doctrines and beliefs and process and community and everything. It had everything. It was like a system that you just kind of bought into and you 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 lived it, and you uh, were were part of it. So I just retreated back into that and just kind of put the other on hold, saying I can't handle that. I stopped uh, the contemplative prayer. I stopped those spiritual disciplines that I was doing at the time. You know, I was. A pastor at the time and I was leading a meditation group and I was leading them in the different forms of contemplative prayer but I just left all that behind and became uh, once again an, an evangelical pastor and was quite successful at doing that and then uh, after about 12 years of doing that again uh, things started to kind of fall apart in my spiritual life. I couldn't continue with that. I knew it wasn't authentic to to what I I knew at a at a deeper level. So I began to to inquire, I began to search, I began to really deconstruct my Christianity. I read everything I could about atheism. At the time the new atheism was was really, you know, hot. So I was reading all of that stuff and uh and uh and at the, and then, even while I was in the process of doing that, I actually I took some time off from ministry because I just couldn't, I couldn't not you know continue in an authentic way as a pastor and still you know not be I don't have my heart in it. So I got out of it for a while. Uh, then I came back into it again, having still not completely processed it, what was happening. But I felt comfortable enough to be part of this. Uh, searching process and to bring whatever con congregation I was leading with me in, into that. So I came to this church in New Hampshire and I began to preach all types of sermons uh, about is there a God, is there truth, I made all these questions. So I had, didn't have any answers but I had all these questions. And then uh, after I had been in, in that church, which is in the town where I live now in New Hampshire, for about a year or so, then I had this third experience, and that came about really as a result of a misdiagnosis by a physician of uh, of pancreatic cancer, and basically gave me a deadline of you know a few months to live, and uh, and that kind of accelerated whatever was happening at the time. You know, if you don't have very much time, then you some some something psychological happens to you and you just uh you know you want to get any business done quickly right and so that's what i was 
I was doing. Um, I remember the date of that because it was my my wife's birthday at the, at the time, and uh, it was her 60th birthday, so it was a big deal. We were going to have a big party, you mm -hmm. know, uh, uh, for all her friends, and I had uh, uh, hired a, a band and everything. So we were at the community center, so we had a big thing going on. And then I went to the doctor, and then I, this was put on me, mm -hmm. and. Uh, but, but out of that, for about a week then, uh, I just assumed that I was dying and I was doing all that grief process. But out of that came a, a, a death, if you will, and a rebirth, if you will, to use Christ, Christian terms. Or I would then understand that as awakening to what I really was and knowing what I really wasn't. In seeing that there was no self, and that there is only one, and that one, if you want to use the term, is is God, or 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 Christ, and since that time, which was now almost ten years ago, it has been a uh, unfolding of that, and a, a better understanding, or at least you think you understand it better. You really can't understand it at all, but at least you get some 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 words to use to describe it and some ideas about it and and uh which is good and bad it's it's good because you can communicate it mm -hmm. it's bad because when you try to communicate it it's not you know you're not really communicating what it really is because okay. it, it can't be described right. it's beyond right. beyond description but you do something to try to try to point people in the right direction, you know, try to open up the way or try to get rid of obstacles or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so I started preaching about it uh, in, 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 my, in my church and I was doing that for a while and, and I was enjoying it. But then after a while, I realized that people weren't, a lot of people weren't ready for that. You know, they weren't, they weren't where I was. And uh, so I, I, for the rest of my ministry, and that and that church, I kind of, you know, backed off a little bit from that to meet people where they were at, you know, in their own spiritual journeys, so until I until I retired in 2016, and once that happened, then I could I was free to kind of you know speak and write and do whatever I wanted to, you know, without having to worry about the audience because the audience was whoever was ready to hear this. That's right. So, yeah. uh, that's when I started writing, and then the podcasting came later, about 2019 or so. Mm -hmm. And uh, then it really kind of became much more intentional with new material when the pandemic started yeah. in 2020. Yeah. So that's it. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I, I haven't, I don't know if I've shared publicly mine, and I'll, I'll, I'll do a brief version of it because it provides yeah. context to the questions I'm going to ask you. Is, so I was raised in a fundamentalist church. Um, they don't take a name. They're kind of proud of that. Uh, they meet in homes. It's a worldwide organization on Wikipedia. The Wikipedia page refers to them as the two by twos. Um, and, uh, and, but very fundamentalist, very patriarchal. Um, and I was, I was raised in it and rejected it and then accepted it. And it was kind of the container of which I sort of operated in for like the system, like you talked about, like, and it brought a, brought a kind of, uh, a numbing, but uh, necessary, I think, order to my life as a container. And I, I and um, but in 2014, I had a, a, a spiritual awakening in a gym, actually, looking in the mirror, and I saw who I really am. 
Um, it goes to one of my prayers, which is I wish people could see themselves for just two seconds the way God sees them. It would transform their lives. It would make them put up with a lot less bullshit, that's for sure, if they knew that. And uh, that was sort of that moment. And then there was this unraveling. And the specific moment where I knew that I had to make these painful changes, the first one, sitting in a church convention, thousand people in an onion barn, uh, like this church camp. And the minister was telling the women, this is an older white man minister, unmarried, because that was the tradition, that's the tradition of this church. All the ministers are unmarried, unpaid, unmarried, and homeless. And and he's up there and he's telling women that they are responsible for the downfall of mankind. And that it's because they wear tight tops and they've their skirts are too short. And my wife at the time, um, we were together for about 30 years, but she looks over and she sees me reacting. And I, and, and I almost, and a room full of a thousand people stood up and yelled, no. And instead, I went outside. I got up out of there as fast as I could and I vomited, actually. Wow. Um, and it was like, oh, I am unraveling this thing that was kind of not so much my identity. I never really felt like I fit in. But it, I definitely had attached, kind of like being a Republican, which I was for many years. I had attached to that as part of who I thought I was. And I think that's part of the, the illusion that dies when you do have an awakening, is the things that you're not burn away. And uh, I ended up leaving that church a few years later, and, um, and I don't belong to any organized Christian, Christian organization of any sort, um, other than this brotherhood of and sisterhood of mystics that I I, I run into now and again, like yourself. Um, so, um, so along those lines, Marshall is there's a lot of, um, I mean, you know, it's a 2000 year old brand. Um, it's largely been corrupted. Um, it's really nothing like it would be unrecognizable probably to Jesus in the sense of Jesus, the man. Um, in, in many ways, um, it's become an institution and there's nothing much more less Jesus than institutionalism. Um, but I'm curious about if you had this power to change the perspective, like one perspective of someone that identifies as a Christian, what would be the thing that you could change? You're just given the superpower to do it one time to turn a dial a little bit. What would you change? I guess it would be to place some serious uh, doubt in their in their minds and hearts mm -hmm. that what they believe to be true is actually true. You need something to, to crack open this hard shell that we all have that in order to, to see what's inside. And uh, so I guess I would pray that that somehow that 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 hard shell could be cracked in some way no matter what that would would take mm -hmm. um so i guess i guess that would be it which is strange yeah. i i hadn't I'd never voiced it that way before but it sounds a little bit kind of strange wishing doubt for people you know uh, well, but doubts doubts the door opener i mean yes yes was, it is I was, talking you know? to a, I was talking to a friend yesterday who was an active pastor who is kind of at the same place you were i think in the in the in the, the second awakening that you had um mm -hmm. and he i he, he i said to him it doesn't take faith to stay in a system it takes discipline it takes faith to leave a system that's that's the real faith and i think that begins with doubt um 
And then you, from a matter of faith, I remember when I decided to stop going to church and I would go out every Sunday and I still do this frequently. And I was like, if you're real, God, just download to me what I need to know. And it happened. I got beautiful insights. Like if I wrote them all down and shared them, people would think I was crazy, but it's this direct access. And I think that's my answer to this question is not in the way that we would usually describe God in the Christian father figure thing. But the thing, the perspective that I would shift to people is what if you were God? What if you were, what if you were God, not God, like the figurehead, right? but God is in the sense of the spiritual part of you, the void, the unknown, the non-material part of you, the non-dualistic part of you. What if that was God? And if it's true, how would you then behave differently in this experience on earth? You'd be a lot more loving. You'd be a lot more creative. You'd be a lot more adventurous and you would be a lot more prone to not get institutionalized around a bunch of dogma. That's my view of, of that. Yeah. 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 And w- while you're talking, the, it also came to mind that that uh, if you could get people to question authority, question yeah. all authority, and for yeah. a Christian, especially the more evangelical type, which I was and you were even more, the fundamentalist, uh, is question the authority of Scripture. Here I'm saying these things about doubt and questioning the authority of Scripture. Right. They sound heretical. I did look in your website. You were talking about mystical leadership, and the mm-hmm. list, last thing on the list was heretical. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, I guess that's that's it. You have to realize that the source that the writers of Scripture had is the same source that you have access to, mm-hmm. and you don't have to have get secondhand religion through you know somebody that lived you know two and a half thousand years ago you can or two thousand years ago that that we have we have that access right right now it's simply a matter of trusting that and being open to that and and the faith to to act upon that and to accept that and to to live out of that yeah, that's why my observation of evangelicals and fundamentalists too is they, the, and this is going, I'm even going back to sort of the institutional denominations like the, you know, the Catholic Church is they took this thing, this Bible, heavily edited by white dudes, um, first of all, um, and very intentionally defeminized um, in, in, in its editing. But, but still, a book, it should have been, it was designed to be a book of clues and it became a book of laws. And you know, like to me, when like the church that I used to be a part of began to die is when they chased away all the mystics and then put lawyers in place, you know, legalistic right. people, the Pharisees, uh, as it were. And I think that that's that, that conflict, that dark light conflict that people have within them between order and chaos and between um, s- systems and freedom. And um, I think it's all designed to uh, promote freedom, freedom of the soul, freedom of expression, things like that. Um, so you and I, I think, uh, would be very aligned around the idea that, um, that consciousness, the concept of consciousness is a truly like Jesus like principle. And I, I, you know, I know from listening to many of your episodes and reading several of your, several of your books that I think you believe the same thing. Um, so what I'm curious from your perspective is what do you think he was trying to teach us about consciousness in his words or in his, you know, uh, demonstrated life? Well, you could might call it uh, kingdom consciousness or the kingdom of God consciousness. So you could call it, you know, like like Burke calls it cosmic consciousness. 
that it was a um, Jesus had this awareness of who God was and who he was and they were the same. I know that some biblical scholars would would uh, in fact I'm, I'm part of a, of a uh, study group right now where they're that Marcus about we're studying a book by Marcus Borg, and he kind of uh, uh, doesn't quite come at it the same way that I would. He would say that Jesus never referred to himself uh, as God or as divine or uh, or anything like that. But I think at the root of it, he did. I think that's the insight of the Gospel of John as opposed to the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke may have a closer record of the actual words of Jesus, but John has has the spirit of Jesus. He has this understanding of that he was one with the Father. And that is that that unitive consciousness, that mm -hmm. oneness consciousness is what Jesus called the kingdom of God. And I think that's what he was trying to communicate. I think that was his one message. Yeah, that's interesting. Very interesting. I think that um, my answer to that question um, is that th there that everything of the ego mind is an illusion. And it's foolishness to make your decisions and your identity around an illusion. So we talk about the truth setting you free and I'm the way, the truth and the life. I am the eternal spring, like all of these metaphors about reality, things that are real and tangible and the flip for me. And I think this is what he was trying to teach. And it extends out to where you're at and uh, Richard Rohr and Rob Bell to some extent is this idea of flipping the script, which is that what we know in the soul, the mystical realm is reality and everything that's what we call the material realm is an illusion. Uh, even in the sense of its ma of matter, where we're, yes. you know, we just know that everything has that little space between the molecules and atoms. And I think, you know, pairing with what you said, that's another thing that Jesus was trying to teach that this is all an illusion. Don't buy into it. You know, he, you know, he, um, it, it was almost like uh, his version of the Matrix, you know, like, <laughs> yes, uh, uh, of, of not participating in, in, in the, in the illusory view that the ego mind constructs. Um, so yeah, that's interesting. And I'm, you know, it's funny is I think part of the reason why you, know, you think about the fathers of the desert and, you know, the first like 400 years where, where, where Christianity was much, much more of a mystical movement. And, um, and then it became institutionalized. Well, uh, Christ consciousness or unity of consciousness or anything is a terrible business model because you don't need a priest. You don't need a building. You don't need the seminary. You just tune in. You go, as like Jesus said, you, the kingdom of heaven is within. You yeah. just go within. You get contemplative. There's no money in that. Um, <laughs> and so I think sometimes that's what, like, people are like, what happened to Christianity? Well, it became a business. That's what happened. Um, it's certainly a multi-billion, maybe multi-trillion dollar industry um, out there related to this. Um, not that there's anything wrong with money, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Um, so you're at a, if I may ask your age, I'm 71, 71. So this still young, still young. And you have this perspective now of seven decades and you've got this deep learned knowledge from your 
you know, your formal training and then your spiritual <clears throat> wisdom that you've, that you've tapped into. So I'm curious about what, what remains the most mysterious and un unknown to you? Or, or maybe another way to say this, Marshall, is where's the edge for you, like the edge of your own understanding? And, what's, and, and you think about what's beyond that and what's mysterious to you still. I think it is how to integrate this unitive awareness into everyday life. It's, uh, it's one thing to, to see it. It's one thing to be aware of it and know that this is true, to know that this is the one reality. But it's another thing to to know how that intersects with this life in time and space and how that is is worked out and how it can be take so many different forms and so many different people and how it can seem to be on opposite sides, you know, the yin and the yang, and yet at the same time be be one. I mean, this whole thing is by nature mysterious. Um, there is no, but but it is intuitively known to be true. Right. And um, so, I mean, life itself, this whole process is is a mystery, and mm -hmm. uh, and it, it all is. I mean, it's every moment is a mystery, and and what who God is and what who we are is a mystery and and what is you know behind this this stage of mm -hmm. time and space and this universe yeah <laughs> that is this uh you know 13.7 billion year old universe that seems so uh tiny when you put a number to it yeah. uh because it's it's and compared to eternity, which is not endless time, but it is, it is uh, constant now. And uh, mm -hmm. so the whole universe is mysterious to me. So to yeah. go back to my original experience of looking at the stars and being completely undone, like like Isaiah was, you know, that still is the mystery. Yeah. You know, that mysterium tremendum it still is now, for me. And, yeah. Uh, and whenever I allow myself to. To just rest into that and to sink into it, I I can feel it, but at the same time, it's it's no less mysterious. Yeah, that really resonates with me. I'm I'm 20 years behind you age-wise, and what I find the most mysterious right now, well, one is how love works um, as, as an unstoppable force. Love is energy. You know, it says God is love. You know, that, that you'll be known, for, you know, love is you know, the, the force of the universe really. And it's, it's mysterious to me of how it works. Um, because when I'm in, when I'm in my heart, when I'm centered to use like a Thomas Keating term, um, you know, when I'm centered in, in my soul and in my heart, how I see the world there's a lot of stuff that doesn't make any sense, but there's a lot of clarity as well. But if I'm up in my head and I'm trying to love from my head, I tend to view everything through a much more systemic lens and the illusion of order and the illusion of structure. And so I think what's most mysterious to me is you could, is, is chaos, is the yeah. is chaos itself. And we know this, that, that order and chaos are, you know, from a mythological standpoint, order is masculine and chaos is feminine. And, and so feminine, the feminine, the rise of the feminine, Megan Watterson talks about this in her book about Mary Magdalene. And um, 
this rise of the fe- of, of the feminine of feminine energy, um, and how living from the soul, operating from the heart, enters you into an entirely different life experience of acceptance and curiosity and creativity. And I find that fascinating, most of all, Marshall. And it's it's interesting because. The episode I listened to of yours that caused me to reach out to you finally, because I've been wanting to do this for a while and I got brave enough to finally ask you is the one on spiritual amnesia. So that's another mystery. It's like, why do we forget this stuff? And uh, that's a mystery to me. Like, why are we designed that way? Why can't we just know it and be done with it? But But we have to, especially around things to me, like openness, um, creativity, gratitude, so easy to forget. That's a mystery to me too. So, yeah. I so, guess for, for me, you know, I I watch what's happening in our society and with politics and things like that, and how to address that. I mean, that's one of the things that I struggle with: how to address that as in a non-dual way. Yeah. Um, and it seems like that that is a a constant struggle, right? Right now, in my my morning devotions. I read different things. I read, I'm uh, reading through the prophets in the, in the Old Testament. I'm also reading the Bhagavad Gita at the same time, a chap, chapter of that. And the Bhagavad Gita is, is about this, this uh, dilemma that this main character, Arjuna, has of whether he should go into battle or not. And it's all about, you know, violence or nonviolence. And I see that I struggle with that in in as how how do we in an authentic way in a way of integrity enter into this uh, political environment while not being captivated by it or captured right. by it or controlled by it but to but still as as temporal beings we are part of this drama that's right know, and how to and how to how to do that and uh, yeah. And how to get our minds around this? It's, uh, so yeah. that's that's one of the things that is a mystery yeah. to me right now. Yeah, totally. And I think you know you can't love other people by opting out of society. Right. You know, we're not really designed to be monks. You know, living alone or with other people that are you know safe to our egos. You know, we need to be threatened and we need that conflict. And part of the reason I launched the third way back in January of 2020, well before we knew what was going to happen, was in response to. Um, the extremism on the left and the right, um, just those two areas and um, of life, and how how polarizing um, dualistic thinking is, and how damaging it is. And so, the whole point of a third way is the third way, and the third way philosophy I've developed is that the myst- the mystical is the is reality. And if you you know if we tune into that, and because people that are more conscious, they if you're a high conscious person, you need very small government, you need no church. And therefore, you are an absolute threat to the two things that our whole country was founded on. You know, so you know the system, the system that's there keeps that um, keeps that in place. If if that's why I said it takes faith to leave a system, not stay in one. Um, I want to close with this. You have a new book out that came out, I think, in January. I haven't read it yet. I've had it on my Kindle. I think it's next up. Um, And the, the the book is called uh, the non dualistic non dualistic gospel of Christ. Is that right? Yeah, the non dual gospel of Jesus. Yeah, not thinking. I, yeah. yeah, I was originally going to call it the gospel according to, according to Jesus, 
But then when I uh, Googled that title, I noticed uh, yeah. some, some other folks that uh, use that use that title. I didn't want to be confused with their their approach. But that yeah. basically is what it is. I was uh, writing a gospel like the gospel writers, like the canonical gospel writers and the non-canonical gospel writers wrote wrote their gospels. But I was doing it from the perspective of Jesus. So Jesus is in the first person. Jesus is telling the gospel story that we are familiar with uh, from what it felt like to be the human being, Jesus of Naz Nazareth, that also had this, this divine consciousness, this divine awareness. So I use the, I use the, the Synoptic Gospels and John, and I also use the Gospel of Thomas because that is probably the one of the oldest gospels that we have, even if you count the the canonical gospels, I think, and it's so I I use that a lot. Then I use my own my own uh, insight, if you will, to to do this. So I'm writing a gospel. I'm not sure that it will be as popular as some of my others because it's <laughs> because it's it's kind of strange uh, way to do it, and only a certain type of person to be even attracted to it, and they might not like the fact that I am much more of, of a, a gospel writer like these gospel writers, and I'm not trying to push my own agenda, not even non-dual agenda, if you will, into it. Yeah. I was trying to be authentic to why, what I thought Jesus would have said and yeah. thought and felt. Uh, not what I necessarily would have thought as yeah. as a human being. So anyway, yeah, there's I mean. um, it's it reminds me uh, too. I mean, not directly, but just these ideas. Gib, Gib, uh, Khalil Gibran, Gibran or Gibran, yes. right. he has a book where it's written as uh, the gospel according to like Jesus's brother. Like, <laughs> and, and it's very interesting. You know, I think he was a Sufist. He wasn't even a Christian. Um, uh, Gibran was, and then Christopher Moore has a famous book called The Lamb. And it's in the subtitle is the gospel according to Biff. And Biff is the <laughs> best friend that Jesus had. Yeah. And and it was it's it's a great way to I love satire. I love the use of satire and satirical um containers for having these complex conversations. So um well, this has been a true gift. Uh, thank you so much for your time. And I'll link to everything that you have in the show notes and I'll send you the link so you can share it with uh, your circle and um, okay. very, very great. grateful for the time. Good. Justin, thank you very much for inviting me. It's been a real joy. Thank you.